You don't have a lot of time. In fact, you are probably listening to this at 1.4 speed and I sound like a chipmunk. If this is the case, you are probably looking for things to cut. Well, in this two-part episode, yes, two parts, I'm talking to Michelle Tresemer, founder of Foundations First Marketing. And we're going through a list of marketing activities that you can cut if you just don't have the time. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to Tiny Marketing. I'm Sarah Noel Block, and I teach small marketing departments that are tired of feeling overwhelmed and under-resourced how to build and manage effective and efficient marketing strategies that work for them. Get ready. It's time to dig in and get a big impact with your tiny team. Hi, I'm Michelle Tresmer, the founder of Foundations First Marketing. I'm a mentor for one-person marketing departments. I want to talk more about that. You just started your membership. Can you tell me about it? Sure. Uh, early in my career, I was often the one person in charge of marketing. Like, it was just me. I had to manage all the vendors. No boss that really knew marketing. It was usually a founder or a CEO directly. So smaller, kind of more startup-y type company. That is exhausting. I yes, was it overworked. is. That yeah. was me too. <laughs> yes. I think we've all been there at some point in our career. But it turns out I'm wired as a marketing generalist. Mm-hmm. So the people who do really well as those one-person marketing departments, they like a lot about a lot of marketing. Yes, this is true. This is for <laughs> curious people. Yeah, like I spend my free time reading, you know, techie, nerdy website magazines all the time for fun because marketing <laughs> is really fun to me. But I'm a marketing generalist, so I will go and explore PPC and try it. And I'm fearless. So that works great as a one-person marketer. But it's lonely. Yeah. And it's, oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Who do, Who's your soundboard? No soundboard. And then you kind of feel like you get really imposter syndrome because you're like, no, I don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. And I don't know if this is truly successful or not. Like there's no collaboration in it. The worst is when the boss hears a marketing concept somewhere. Oh my God, that happens all the time. And then they come back and say, Michelle, why aren't we doing ABC? And it's like, oh man, that is so wrong for us. Not a good fit, but I don't have anyone to back me up. Yeah, you're the boss. I guess we're trying that. That's actually what we're talking about today is what to cut. And what to keep. And that is something I just talked about in this speaking engagement. I was talking to, it was a bunch of one person marketing departments and like zero people marketing departments where it's like someone was grabbed from a different department to do marketing. And um, like what you should really be cutting because like either you hear it's always been done this way. So this is the way we're going to go. Or you have some really overzealous, hands-on boss that is like, I just heard about this marketing thing. Let's try it. And you're like, well, that doesn't really fit into our strategy. It doesn't make sense. Can we talk about that a hot second? Because what you're saying, that so resonates with me. The trick of this is it's so easy to start all of these marketing things. It's easy Mm -hmm. to try them and start them. You can't stop them. 
it's really yes. hard to say, Ooh, no, we're going to cut back on that. The fear. Yes. Yes. Because you feel like you're failing if you have to cut something that I was calling the mushroom zombies, like last of us, you know, those mushroom zombies, how they just take over your life. They take over your body. That's what I was calling them in this speaking engagement. And it's okay. It's okay to cut and think of marketing as an experiment. You can, you know, like once a quarter say, I'm going to experiment with this thing, but this is the benchmark that means success. And this is, this is the number that means that we're cutting it. Just give yourself three months to try it out. I love setting that benchmark ahead of time, if at mm-hmm. all possible. So yeah. in advance of like starting a newsletter, which is the one I always cut first, what are we trying to accomplish? If no one can answer that, then we don't do it. But if there is an answer, let's decide, okay, at what point is this no longer serving us? Let's pick that number up front. Otherwise, you're going to make excuse after excuse after excuse. That's so true. We could try that. Yeah. No, you need to have that number up front. Otherwise, you're going to keep going and your number is going to evolve over time when it shouldn't. (laughs) The number is there to act as a benchmark of success or failure. Yeah, there's always the one person who says, but, but we could try this. Uh-huh. Well, we should send it at 8 a.m. instead of 6 a.m. Yeah, That'll let's fix everything. Tweaking it. You can tweak a little bit, but you still need that benchmark right up front. Otherwise, you're going to tweak until you die. <laughs> yep. And then pretty soon you've added 50 things that you're tweaking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you don't end up cutting anything and everything is, you know, still in experimentation phase. Uh, you're just overwhelming yourself. And those one-person marketing departments do not have the bandwidth to be overwhelming themselves. No. Most of the people I work with, I mean, nobody works 40 hours. Everybody in that position is over 40 hours. And half of them haven't had a vacation in years. Oh my gosh, that was not me. I was like, you don't pay me enough. (laughs) You don't pay me enough for that. I was the 80 hour a week at one point because I'm so type A and a people pleaser and have rejection sensitivity. So man, ooh, but I like the opposites on that. I was like, you know what? These are my boundaries. (laughs) Teach me your ways. I'm still working on boundaries. (laughs) It's hard when you have your own business, the boundaries, because then you're like, am I hurting my bottom line eventually with these boundaries? But then people will take advantage of you if you don't have them. Right. Oh, yeah. Learned that one the hard way. (laughs) Haven't we all? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So you made a list of items that you would potentially cut. That's on your like first cut list. And the first one you have on this list, I completely disagree with. Let's talk about that one first. (laughs) Weekly or monthly newsletters. Tell me. Tell me your reason. Great. Uh, When I work with clients and I look for where can we cut things, like what is taking your time, the newsletter always comes up because it's one of those things where they say, oh, we've always done it. And then the second red flag is always when I ask, why are you doing this? Like, what is the goal? Are you, is this part of a nurturer? Like, what are you doing? 90% of the time, the answer I get is, well, the, the CEO wants it. We want to stay top of mind. It's like, well, are you adding value for top of mind or you just want your name in their inbox? And most of the time it's, we just want to be in their inbox. 
Yeah, we want them to see we exist. Yes, which I totally understand and I respect that. I really do. But if this is just an exercise, like an ego trip for the founder or CEO, that is not a good enough reason to do it so frequently. Let's try to do it less frequently and add some very real value that's more strategic. Let's talk about that for a second because I've recently started talking more about like MVPs, (laughs) the minimal viable, but like for content. Yes. That's something you can do with newsletters is try an MVP during the experimentation phase and see how people are receiving it. Do they like it? Are they engaging? Is your open rate good? And test it out that way. Yeah. One of the tests I make clients do, because they they never want to cut that. Like they are so, um, they're married to it. Like there is a commitment or something with this newsletter. And it's really love their opening, their little intro letter. That is exactly what I was about to attack next, that exact thing. So what I try to get them to do is, look, let's compromise. And on the next couple ones, let's not put the whole content in there. Put snippets that link off to something. I want to see if they are interested in any of this content that you spent four hours digging up. That I completely agree with. That's the way to go with it. And your letter has to be like worthwhile. Teach something. Do not just make it a, you know, like those Christmas family letters where they're just sending a letter that's just like, this is what we're doing right now. And it's all about me. And then they send it out to the family and you're like, I don't care. I haven't seen you since last Thanksgiving. The worst are the CEOs who actually talk about their vacation they just took and try to tie that back to like a tech stack or B2B SaaS thing. It's like, what are you doing? No one cares that you just got back from Hawaii. Oh my gosh. That's like that LinkedIn meme where it's like, I was brushing my teeth and (laughs) this is how it's connected to marketing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was thinking, because I was telling you before this, that I had a plumbing emergency on Sunday and I was thinking, okay, how can I tie this to the Pareto principle? (laughs) How I shower now, because I'm looking for the 20% of hygiene that is going to get me 80% of my results because I have barely any water. That really sucks though. It does. But like my brain went straight to gross, sleazy marketer. How do I tie those together? (laughs) That's how we function as marketers. We're like, how can I make this experience marketing? (laughs) It's storytelling. Right? I know. Are you working on your content marketing, but it's not bringing in any leads? The problem might be your website. Find out the five website issues that kill content marketing efforts so you can fix them and quickly see the results with increasing conversions, traffic, and good fit leads. Go to tinymarketing.me slash website mistakes to sign up. We go live on April 18th at noon Central Standard Time. See you there. So going back to the newsletter. So the reason I disagree with cutting at first is because it's like a way to build relationship with your people, but you have to be doing it really strategically. It has to be value-driven newsletter and it can't, I've worked for those companies where the newsletter is just a brag letter from the CEO and nothing valuable. And those are shit. So (laughs) they are worth cutting 
But if you can drive value and you're teaching them how to solve their problem within that newsletter each week or each month, then it's a great way to build relationships, getting those replies back from people and like, oh, I'm actually talking to humans. (laughs) We're having an interaction now. That feels so good. Yeah. And I, I don't disagree with you like a hundred percent in, it's just tough. I think to get people to make that shift right away, it's easier for me to get them to say, look, let's do one a quarter. That's really good. Let's put our energy. Cause it takes a lot of mental power to do a really good newsletter. It doesn't take more time. I don't think it takes more mental energy than to do a crap newsletter more frequently. Yeah. If you were to want to keep it at weekly, then you would probably also need to have like that core content Yes, where you're consistently creating the same type of content, whether it's in a series or episodic content. So you have something to talk about every week. It would have to be in that sort of format otherwise, or you're reusing it in another way. Like I know someone who uses her newsletter as her core piece of content And then she does a podcast on that topic. So it's going to be super value-driven because she cared enough to want it to be a basic script for her podcast. Yeah, and nobody does that. Like this, I'm thinking typical CEO. Like they're they're not thinking that way. So you know what kind of newsletter that I get cranky about. Yes, I do. I know exactly. I've probably written them many times. I know, right? I think we all have. Like, they're so cringe to hit send on. Like, ooh. Yeah, you're like, oh God, don't look at me. Yeah, but doing them right and strategically and you have that good new content full of value, absolutely love it. Yeah. So I would say when you're deciding if you want to quit it or not, have those benchmarks in mind. What do you want that open and that click through rate? to be, Anne Hanley always says her reply rate, like people who hit reply on those emails, that's one of her favorite benchmarks. Oh, that's rough. Like I'm trying to think of all of my, you know, I have a lot of B2B tech, industrial type clients. I can't remember the last time they got any replies. Like people just don't engage with their content. So I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's a great metric. Hey folks, Sarah here, popping over to introduce the Tiny Marketing Club. This membership is for B2B service founders struggling to market their business sustainably. The Tiny Marketing Club will help you build and maintain a lean marketing engine that helps you build authority and visibility with your dream clients, making it easy to increase your pipeline without burning out. Together, we'll build your lean marketing engine and the systems to make it so damn easy for you to keep it up without a team or a big budget. Go to sarahnoelblock.com slash club and click the button that says apply for the club to get added to the waitlist. See you there. Yeah, and you kind of have to include that in the strategy of the newsletter where you're asking questions and you're asking them to reply um, or give some sort of feedback to encourage it. Yeah. You mean it's about relationship building? Yes, I do. Wow. (laughs) It's novel. I love it. You actually have to like your customers and want to talk to them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not dread when you see them in your inbox. You're like, oh no, what's this problem I have to solve? 
Well, actually, can you introduce your principles that you had mentioned earlier? Would you like all three? I want all three. Give them to me. (laughs) Yeah. All right. There are three principles that I live by in my own business and I teach clients. The first one that I use more than any other is the Pareto principle. Long story short, 20% of everything you're doing is generating 80% of the outcome. So it initially started with employees. So big companies, 20% of the employees are generating 80% of the output. You've got those those A players. Same with your content. 20% of it is generating 80% of the traffic. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yes, so I do. So when we talk about cutting, it's putting on that Pareto principle hat thinking, okay, who are our best customers, the top 20%? What do they need? Let's look at all of our marketing activities. What is likely to be the top performing activities? Let's optimize those first. Yes. So I just put together this. Um, it's a customer avatar and journey bundle. And basically what it walks you through is identifying those top 20%, those customers, and finding what is the problem that they need solved? Where is it that they, what channels do they hang out on? What content mediums do they prefer? So that, but then going into what activities are actually moving the needle at each stage of the buyer's journey. And it makes such a huge difference. You can really like streamline and home in on what marketing actually matters because you're only marketing to those best customers. And this is in your bundle? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can shut up and take my money right now. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I put together this content marketing program. Like this one module is insane. I need to pull that out and make that a bundle. Yes, I will be giving that to everyone. That sounds awesome. So that's Pareto principle. Use it for everything. Great way to you know cut back. Really good. The next one is, I learned this, I don't know, maybe six months ago, it's kind of new to my vocabulary, is Parkinson's Law. The best example of this is if you have a blog post to write and you give yourself two weeks, it's going to take you two weeks to do it. If you give yourself two hours, you're going to get it done in two hours. This could not be more true. And it happens to me all the time. (laughs) I... Yeah. That's why I usually suggest that people set up like a batching day, because if you give yourself one day to create all of that content for the month and schedule it out right then, you get it done. Oh, yes, you do. I didn't know it had a name. (laughs) Yes, Parkinson's Law. I use that one like for everything. I'm wired neurodivergent, so I need the dopamine hit of a last minute thing. Procrastination is all tied into that. Very similar. If I procrastinate, then I have this very limited amount of time to get the thing done and I will get it done very quickly. Hmm. What's that timer method where it's like Pomodoro? Yes. Do you do that? I absolutely do. Uh, When I can focus enough for it. Yes. And I can do like four to six a day and it's fantastic. I have a little timer and then I get up and stand up for my five minute breaks. And, but yeah, it time blocks me and I challenge myself. I make it a little game. Can I get this done? And in this, this yes. session. That's so smart. Uh, do you hear my dog going nuts? <laughs> you, is everything okay? Delivery or something. I hope it's something cool. 
Me too. <laughs> it's probably some kid walking by. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, so that's Parkinson's Law. So the way I see this in action, again, with that blog content, if you don't have a deadline, you're going to tweak it and tweak it and tweak it some more, and it just sits on your desktop. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing that right now because I didn't batch it, and it's like the part that's edited is in my is in my um my CMS and then the rest of it is in a doc that's <laughs> I'm embarrassed for myself but yeah it's just like a an extra piece of content that's not part of my normal system so I've just been procrastinating on it uh-huh. <laughs> so even the experts in content deal with yeah. this stuff like it's every day uh, so that brings us to the last one that I also use all the time the law of diminishing returns, which hopefully everyone remembers this from like high school economics class. This was always taught way back then. Law of diminishing returns, again, looking at that blog post that is taking you two weeks, the closer it gets to like done, the more you start tweaking it, the less return you're going to get on it. Like the less that change matters. So at some point it needs to be just good enough because everything after that, you're just not going to get out what you're putting in. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times good enough is good enough. We procrastinate because of perfectionism and fear of someone's going to be judging us because we made some sort of mistake, but people are attracted to human. And I don't think it's a big deal to have glitch in your in your video or a typo in your LinkedIn post. None of that really matters. Nobody cares. No. And people forget all the time. We are, you know, it is 2023. We are not doing print publications like we used to, where you would do hard copy print things. And if you had a major typo, you couldn't go back and fix it. Now, if you need to tweak something, it takes 30 seconds and it's out there. Yeah. Yeah. And even if it's remains out there, who cares? (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it's iterative. It's like, great, get it good enough. If you need to go back later, you totally can. Just knowing that it's possible to go back often tricks my brain into saying, okay, yes, I'm just going to push this live. That's true. It's uh, like every digital creation you have is a living document and can be edited and changed. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, law of diminishing returns is a great reminder, especially when you're trying to cut back. Like what are you spending way too many cycles doing? Are your blog posts going 10 rounds with the CEO when it was good enough on draft two? Yeah, that's a huge thing is when there's too many stakeholders involved in the content creation and it just keeps going through revisions. There needs to be boundaries. Once again, (laughs) there needs to be boundaries and uh, one person that is in charge of giving the okay, especially like for anybody who's listening that is a content creator, then you know the pain of getting contradicting revisions from companies. And you're like, well, what, what the hell do you actually want? Because these are totally different directions you're asking for. And I love it because no one notices when it's actually published. Like, I don't think anybody in the actual company goes back and reads the final. I guarantee they do not. (laughs) They care in the moment. Before you go, head to our show notes page and sign up for our joint webinar. 
where we're sharing the mistakes you're making on your website that are killing your content marketing efforts. Go on, I'll wait. Okay, now that you're done with that, remember to tune in for part two next time. Thank you. Hello, and thank you for joining Tiny Marketing. I help tiny marketing departments create consistent content that builds trust with their audience book done for you content marketing at sarahnoelblog.com. Don't forget to follow, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app. See you next time, friends.